All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Millennial Sales Podcast. This is your host, Tom Alemo. They call me Tommy Tahoe. Excited to bring you this episode this week, uh, episode 190. Uh, so we're getting up there and we're closing out the year, closing out 2020 with a bang, hopefully uh, with one last push on some of those last deals you have. Uh, if you need them, if you don't need them, maybe you're recharging, listen to a podcast, um, you know, getting yourself kind of rebuilt up for uh, for the new year coming next week. So I will be in the latter camp. I'm I'm actually pre-recording this one and going to spend the last week of of December with some family and try to chill out and uh, and get ready for the new year ahead. So uh, I appreciate, I'm very grateful for everyone that's listening out here this week, and, and I appreciate you tuning in. Um, I want to get straight into today's interview and straight into what we're talking about and who we're talking to and, and get this thing going. So um, James Nielsen, let me just say, there are few guests. This is episode uh, 189, and... I've had Hall of Fame athletes, I've had best-selling authors, I've had CEOs, you know, I've had successful business people, and, um, you know, there aren't a lot of people that have the type of pedigree that today's guest has, right, in, in multiple different domains, right, so a lot of people are really good at one thing, not even a lot, some people are really good at one thing, right, it takes someone special to be really good or great at multiple things, and that's what James Nielsen did, so if we go back to college at uh, UCSD, James uh, ran track. He was a four-time NCAA All-American. He was a two-time national champion. He was a three-time academic All-American, and he was the president of his fraternity. He then went to get his PhD in electrical engineering at Stanford. Uh, and while he was doing that, he also made the U.S. Olympic trials and he was a professional Ironman triathlete, and he also was named uh, the student teacher of the year uh, at, at, in Stanford that year. So all of that happening, and he's also got a world record holder in the beer mile, which we talk about in this week's podcast. Um, so all of that is before he even graduates and before he even gets into you know, the quote-unquote real world. So um, I think, I mean, that's just mind-blowing, and I hope, <laughs> I hope my mom's not listening to this podcast because She'll be disappointed in my accomplishments, uh, <laughs> you know, in comparison to James. But, you know, in all seriousness, he has an electrical engineering degree from Stanford, right, a PhD, and he gets into engineering at Qualcomm. And a chance encounter with the VP of sales, James tells this story, but a chance encounter with the VP of sales then transitions him from an engineer to a sales engineer, right? And he spends five years there, really successful and then over the next decade, he climbs up through the sales ranks to director, several VP roles, um, VP of sales and customer success. Um, and then he was also involved in three separate acquisitions during that time. Um, after all that success, James founded Vendition in 2015, which is a sales development apprenticeship program that gives individuals the training and experience needed to earn entry-level jobs in tech sales, right? So in short, he connects wannabe salespeople, sales development reps with great tech companies. Uh, he also runs the sales bootcamp, the Vendition Sales Society, and he's an advisor for creativeventures.vc. So how the hell did we get here? Uh, so James you know, credits a lot of his success to waking up early, getting after it. He still wakes up at 4.30 every day, 
He's running. He's working out. That's how he starts his day. Um, we talked about his career arc, right? How he went from an engineer into sales and then why that's helped him actually, right? So a lot of things that, you know, reasons that salespeople falter, I think, is we maybe get a little too confident. We focus too much on the art of sales, not enough on the science of sales. And I think as with an engineering background in mind, he's been able to really have a more structured sales process that has helped him and, and helped his teams. And, you know, lastly, we get into, you know, the work Vendition has done for underrepresented groups in sales. Um, so, uh, you know, for women, for people of color, for people that are just not, um, you know, are not actively in, you know, tech sales jobs as much as they'd like to be, um, you know, how they've helped to do a lot of that as well. And then we do talk about, to kick off the conversation, the world record beer mile that he has, uh, which is pretty insane. So I think you are going to love this episode with James. He's high energy. He's got great advice for anyone that's starting off in sales. He is helping, you know, hundreds or, or thousands of people that want to get into sales, get in and, and get in at great companies. So if you're interested, first of all, go follow, hit up James on LinkedIn. You can sign up for Vendition if you're looking for an SDR job or if you know someone who is, you can refer them that way. Um, and second, show me some love. All I want for Christmas this year or New Year's or whatever is a subscribe and a review on the podcast. So head to Apple or Spotify, subscribe to the show. You can watch us on YouTube. Would love a subscribe and, and a review. You can then hit me up on social media. Tom Alemo on LinkedIn, at Tommy Tahoe on Twitter and Instagram. I respond to every message. I love connecting with people. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I love the show. So uh, if you do find value, I'd love if you did that. Without further ado, let's get straight into the conversation this week with James Nielsen. Let's go. All right, James Nielsen. Good evening, man. Welcome to Millennial Sales. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, man, absolutely. So, all right, we got to start with just a laundry list, and you might get uncomfortable here, but <laughs> I, I could, I couldn't not start off with the laundry list of uh, your college accolades, right? So, two-time <laughs> NCAA champion, four-time All-American, three-time academic All-American. Uh, National Engineering Honor Society, uh, then to got, get his PhD at Stanford, where he was running in the Olympic trials and was a professional Ironman. Did I, <laughs> did I, did I miss anything? Was there, is, that, is that about it? That's accurate. <laughs> yeah, that's all you were up to uh, in, in your, your late teens, early 20s. I mean, that's amazing. I kept myself busy uh, when I was in college, <laughs> that's for sure. And I went to college for a long time. Both of those things are very true. I, honestly, I, I hope my mom is not listening to this podcast because she'll be very disappointed that I was none of those things. <laughs> it's amazing though. So, um, so tell me a little bit about that because I think that says a lot about you. So, um, you know, all, all those uh, athletic achievements, you know, on in track and field. I'm imagining. Yeah. So, can you tell me about like what what that was like um, and the dedication that you put in in track and field early in your life? Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I grew up playing a lot of different sports, um, enjoyed them all. And, um, and I was always, you know, I was always quick, um, and kind of got into track and field in high school and realized that, uh, you know, this was something that could go somewhere and, you know, continued on uh, beyond high school, obviously, and ran collegiately and had a lot of success and just kept training harder uh, and harder. I think, you know, I, I take a very kind of analytical data driven approach to 
to you know all parts of my life uh in not only school but also my running and so um yeah i just uh was getting faster and faster and had some success and continued to leverage that uh, beyond graduation as well and and then when i was in grad school started dabbling in the triathlon world bought myself a bike and you know got some got some goggles and uh and had a lot of success there i biked a lot as a kid just for fun so the biking legs uh picked up pretty quickly and then you know i wasn't necessarily a great swimmer but i was also not terrible i was you know kind of mid pack and uh yeah i had a lot of fun in the triathlon world as well so it's it's good to kind of test your test your body right test your mind i enjoy getting up exercising every day still work out like a crazy man and uh it's just a good way to kind of get the day started and and gives me myself some balance and then it gives me allows me to stay focused on sales or engineering or whatever the heck i was working on at the time yeah absolutely and are you still doing races like that or is it more toned down and you're just like working out yeah i don't really race uh anymore i think um yeah it's just you know it's not it's not really that important to me and plus I feel like anything other than first, I would be really upset with myself. And then, and then getting first, I would also, it wouldn't be that much pride because, you know, I, uh, you know, I don't want to go beat up on a bunch of people I should, that are just trying to balance their, their work-life balance as well. So, uh, so yeah, there's not a whole lot of racing going on these days, but I still, I still run every day. Um, you know, like to go to the gym and I keep myself busy. Yeah. So, um, can we, can, let's walk through that. Um, I wanted to touch on that at some point, um, but you know, the routine, right? So, you know, you're, you, you've been a sales person, sales leader for, you know, going on probably, you know, a decade and a half, two decades, and now been a CEO for, for five years. So how, how do you fit it in? Like, how do you work that routine and, and what does that mean to you in the grand scheme of all of the other millions of things that you have to do in a day? Yeah, for me, I mean, exercise is just extremely important. It's kind of how I calibrate my brain. Um, I actually don't, I don't listen to music uh, when I'm out running. I try to just let my mind wander, think about the day. I, I, I like to do a lot of my thinking during that time. So it kind of calibrates for, them, for, for me for the day. And depending on when, when my day starts, it's usually, I like to stay on a pretty strict schedule. But if things happen, then the way I see it, I just, I sleep an hour less than, than I would if I didn't exercise, right? So um, if I'm out until three o'clock in the morning and I have a 6am meeting, well, then instead of sleeping for three hours, I sleep for two hours and I run for an hour. And I just, you know, that's a little extreme as far as the, uh, as far as yeah. the time goes there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, I will just, uh, no matter how late I'm up or what I have to do, you know, I'll just, uh, I'll make sure that I give myself enough time to exercise in the morning. So it's kind of just how I've always been and probably how I always will be. Is there, is there a time that like on a given day, I imagine every day is different, but in the COVID world, maybe not so much. Like, do you have like a, a set time you wake up a certain time and then you run a certain amount of miles or it just kind of depends on what's on your plate? Yeah. It's usually around four 30. Um, my body kind of gets up naturally at that time. I've been getting up at that time for, for a lot of years. Uh, it's, it's varied probably between four and five. I, I don't think I could sleep past five, even on the weekends if I tried. So. <laughs> and I think I dabbled at one point with around three thirty, three forty-five. but I think the threes are just kind of a no-go zone for me. That's, that's a yeah. little bit too, uh, that's a little bit too early, but, uh, but yeah, I like a good four 30. I wake up. I love it. I love it. I'd say that was when I'm thinking about in the last, you know, six years since I've graduated school, that was one of the major kind of tipping points for me was like, oh, if I get up earlier, I can like get more stuff done and I can work out, you know, in the morning or I'll do some of this podcast stuff or blog or, you know, some of the extracurriculars that just you can't get done in a normal workday uh, done in the morning. 
And so you kind of have that, that check mark in your head. It's kind of like you got that, that victory to start the day. And for me, that's always been really appealing. It kind of like gives you that little burst of energy that you need in the morning, makes you feel accomplished. Um, do you get that sense of satisfaction? Yeah, for sure. No, it's nice to get up and get moving, get the day started before others are, are moving. Um, that sense of accomplishment and yeah, gets the, gets the mind running, gets, gets the body moving. And uh, yeah, I have, a, I have a hypothesis that if X is the number of hours of sleep, if you got, if you were like fully rested and Y is um, the amount of time that, that that like charged you for, I think X plus Y is actually greater than 24. And so what I mean by that mm. is if you sleep for eight hours, you could probably stay up for longer than 16. So what people do is they sleep for eight and they stay up for 17 and then they sleep in later and then they stay up later. And then it's just kind of, so like, it's not bad to wake up to an alarm. I think, uh, I think, I think people will be just fine if they got slightly less sleep than, uh, than their body would fully let them if, if, uh, if, if they let it. So, uh, but I have no research to back that up. Yeah. <laughs> plus my, it just makes... It just Go makes ahead. you feel good too. You know, it's like, you know, if you sleep for five hours after, you know, throwing home, you know, nine beers and you're out <laughs> late and you have one of those 3 a.m. nights, like you're talking about, well, you might not be feeling good the next day, but if you're working out and, you know, eating right and doing, you know, some of the right things, then um, that it all kind of adds up into the equation. So I think sleep is just part of that in my exactly, opinion. Exactly, exactly. And, and did I see, now this is not, you know, I'm not trying to embarrass you, but except I kind of am off the off the top. But when I type in your name into Google, I see some pictures of and some some sort of collection about like a world record beer mile. Is that a is that a is that a true story? Is that a made up like kind of a joke, or did you really set a world record there? Yeah, no, that's a true story. It's it's crazy <laughs> how that uh, that exploded. But yeah, I am I'm the former world record holder for the beer mile and. Um, the first person to break five minutes in the beer mile. So wow. I, yeah, I, you know, I ran a bunch of beer miles back in college and grad school and kind of a, just, it's a pretty popular event within the running community. Not many people know about it outside, but you know, you got thousands and th tens of thousands of college kids around the country that are, that are running beer miles. And um, I was the first person to break five minutes, recorded it, posted it on YouTube, went to work that day and it just like took off viral <laughs> and um yeah i had espn come to my house with a four camera crew no kidding uh, really yeah, it was like good morning america i was interviewed live on tmz uh the today what? show yeah it was like it went crazy front page of the wall street journal like it was oh my nuts. god and um yeah it's it's uh and it's it's you know and, and then everyone everyone wanted more right it's just uh i think it was an an odd combination uh, to my talents, being able to run fast and drink beer fast. And somehow that was a, a worldwide interest story. And uh, yeah, it was kind of, um, you know, now it's in the hands of, you know, professional Olympic type athletes. I think the world record's down yeah. to like 432 or something like that. I ran 457. So I couldn't even, even in my prime, I couldn't keep up with, uh, with the beer milers of the world today. But uh, I had yeah. my, I had my 15 minutes of fame. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so we're not going to stick on this too long, but just for people that are not, uh, are not familiar, can you just at least tell them what a beer mile is so they can put into their mind trying to do that in four minutes, 57 seconds. Yeah. So it's uh, four beers and four laps. So you run a full mile and the, you alternate. So you drink a beer and then you run a lap, drink a beer, run a lap. You do that four times. And so, and you physically stop. So the, once the, once the gun goes off, the clock counts it off. So the, the 457 includes the beer drinking and, um, and the running. So I think I ran <laughs> like a 421 mile or something like that. And then 
Um, yeah. And then another, you know, 36 seconds worth of beers. Wow. That's just wild. Um, all right. So, you know, whoever can, whoever listens to this and has the best beer mile, we'll, we'll give them, you know, some, something for free, a t-shirt or something. Um, uh, so, so, uh, all right. So you, you know, you're at Stanford, right? You get getting your PhD in engineering and, you know, I'm going just based off of LinkedIn research here. It looks like you got into sales engineering. Is that, was there a stint before that? Or did you go straight from Stanford over to, to Qualcomm? Yeah. So I, I was not in, uh, I got started off in an engineering position at Qualcomm and then I got recruited into sales engineering right away. They wanted to put me in front of clients and I, I had never heard sales and engineering in the same sentence, let alone know there was a profession. So, uh, I was quite confused about what that even was. And, but, and I didn't, you know, to be honest, I didn't have the best connotation of what sales was. Right. I thought used car salesman, Wolf of wall street, right. Trying to force people to buy things they don't need Mm -hmm. or want. And so, but once I got exposed into professional selling, I absolutely fell in love with it. And, uh, you know, you're trying to find business problems and then solve it with technology. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, I knew I found my fit. So, um, and, uh, yeah, I eventually became jealous of the sales rep, right. They're the ones yeah. getting the high five from the CEO and the big commission checks. And I said, Hey, I want to do that. And everyone thought I was crazy. They're like, wait, you're, you're the sales engineer. You're technical. Why, why would you want to go be an account executive? Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, I, I, fortunately got my opportunity <laughs> well sales engineers are just um i i'm trying to think of an equivalent in sports but i, I can't think of one but they're so underrated yeah right? they don't seem to get the recognition right yeah. but you know especially if you're in a technical sale like i've, I've got a friend that's selling in, in the security space a very technical sale and he's like if i didn't have my sales engineer like i would be broke i there yeah. would be no deals happening i would be not hitting quota and so especially as it gets more technical sales engineers, especially if they have multiple reps that they work with, it's a really hard, you're doing a ton of demos and really kind of the unsung hero of, of sales. Yeah, for sure. No, I have a ton of respect for sales engineers, both when I was one and also, you know, as a account executive and, you know, head of director of sales, VP of sales, sales engineers are crucial, especially in technical complex products. Right. They are yeah. worth they are worth their weight in gold for sure. So, what do you think people saw in you when you came in as an engineer, right? And you're probably very highly touted. You had great grades. You had a great background. So, I'm sure the engineering department was excited to have you there. Like, yeah. what was there a moment where they're like, "Oh, this this kid could could be a salesperson or a sales engineer." Yeah. So, um, I met one of the VPs of sales in the kitchen. I was explaining to someone what I was working on. I was a brand new employee and kind of walking through one of my projects. And uh, he came over and, you know, asked me my name, what I was working on. And he, he, you know, he, he asked me if I would be interested in sales engineering. And I think he kind of thought I can put this person in front of clients. And then, um, and then, yeah, I mean, you know, as you know, those big companies, the sales leaders carry a lot of weight around the organization as far as what they want to happen often happens. So, um, so somehow they worked it out with my manager and decided to, you know, put me in front of some clients. And luckily I was so new there that I wasn't really adding a whole lot of value on the technical side yet. I'm sure they had, uh, you know, a game plan for, for me, but uh, I got recruited over quite early and it worked out for them and me. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I love that thought as a VP of sales too. I feel like the best leaders are, they can find good talent anywhere, right? It could be in another department in your company. It could be, you know, your waiter or waitress at a restaurant, like, you know, great salespeople can come from anywhere. Right. So um, I love the thought that he just overheard that. And he was like, Oh, this guy, 
we could put him to work. We could put him <laughs> in front of clients. I love that thought. And, and then getting you developed in there. Yeah. And then, uh, so you, it looks like he spent about five years there and then spent a decade just across different, you know, kind of climbing the ladder in the, in the software sales game, more or less, right. Manager, director of sales, uh, VP role of sales, I think, and customer success. Um, what, what was, what was that climb like for you? Was that just kind of, um, you know, you were just driven by some of the numbers and like, you're obviously a competitive guy from your athletic background, but was that what was driving you? Yeah, I definitely wanted to get into a leadership role. I always loved coaching and man man managing and networking and, um, and just kind of teaching. Right. And so, you know, I taught a bunch of classes in both undergrad and grad school. Um, I coached a bunch of sports when I was a kid, not only did I play them, but I coached them as well. And so kind of just wanted to, you know, climb the corporate ladder as they say. And so I was definitely on a mission from day one as an account executive to move into you know, leadership roles and actually got my first management position in uh, 2009 at Uyala. And I was asked to run the sales development team and I didn't know what sales development was, nor did I don't think anyone else, right? This was two yeah. years before Aaron Ross's uh, very well-known predictable revenue book came out. Sales development was, I didn't, I don't know how many companies were, were, had it back then, but this was in 2009 and, um, and I got, you know, offered, I think they wanted me to basically engineer and architect a pipeline for everyone. They said, all right, well, James, you know, James seems to be doing very well. I was the top rep, uh, you know, over and over. And they said, all right, well, let's, you know, let's kind of let him architect what, how to build pipeline for everyone else and then build out a team. So yeah, I got my first management position running sales development and I was very specific. I said, I will do this, but my one qualifier <laughs> is you have to let me get back into managing AE some days because I could see, you know, I wanted to go be a VP of sales and I knew that I needed to mm. show that I could, that I could manage closers um, in addition to the SDR team. So uh, so yeah, so anyways, I, I got to build out my first SDR team. I hired two reps and the three of us worked very hard on creating all the playbooks and scripts and processes. And, and, uh, yeah, eventually got the, the, the AE team put under me about a year, year and a half later. And I spent, spent a little over four years at Oyala and it was, uh, it was kind of where I really, I think grew as a leader. Um, and when I left there, I got my first VP of sales job reporting the CEO worldwide sales team. That was, that was when my career kind of took off as well. So there's been some key moments in there. That's awesome. And, and when you were thinking about getting into leadership, even as an AE, like it sounds like you had this vision in your mind, was the vision VP of sales or was the vision to run a company someday? Yeah, I was not sure. I definitely wanted to at least run a worldwide sales organization, revenue organization. Um, I think I went back and forth. I think early, I always wanted to run the, you know, be the CEO and run an entire organization. I remember at one point, one of my, uh, one of my VPs of sales, I, I asked him um, if he had aspirations to be CEO one day, he told me, absolutely not. He said, I have one, <laughs> I have one boss as the VP of sales. I'm in charge of, I'm in charge of revenue. I have one boss, which is the CEO. I know what I'm doing. I'm good at it. And he had this whole reason why he said, everyone thinks the CEO is in charge, but really the CEO has nine bosses because you have a board of directors you have all these people that don't really know the, all the ins and outs of your organization. They all have opinions on where you should take your company. And then you're managing 20 different departments. And, um, and this one person's opinion, yeah, being CEO was not what he wanted. And so, you know, I think he made me at least scratch my mind. But, uh, but yeah, I think I always kind of wanted to either start my own business or eventually be CEO of, um, of a company that I, that I grew up in within. So um, I want to I get into your transition to CEO. Before we do that, 
Um, I want to get to what I call the selfish section of the interview where I ask <laughs> one question specifically for me. And I'm, I'm curious because of you do have such a unique background, uh, engineer to sales engineer to AE to, to leader. Um, I imagine that when you were an AE and even as a VP of sales, you were running a really, really tight sales process, like an engineer mind of a sales process. So I'm curious, like, do you have a tip for where does the average AE fall short on a sales process that your engineering mind maybe did things a little bit differently? Does anything come to mind? Yeah, I'd say from an AE perspective, um, managing the closing process is definitely, you know, everyone talks about, you know, uncovering the pain and, and, and kind of the gap selling and how do you, how do you really, you know, draw that, you know, walk through the pain funnel and so you solution sell. But I think the, you know, really running a closing process is something that I think a lot of AEs can, can work on as far as just, you know, kind of backing, backing into it is usually where you start, but working with the client to really identify when do you want this thing implemented up and running, right? And then not just like, oh, it'd be nice if it was in January. It's like, no, really find a compelling reason, right? What, how does that impact their business? And all that, all those things you learned as far as walking through the pain funnel and uncovering, like do that again for implementation date, right? And so really get them to agree of when they want it live and then back up into all those milestones and get them to agree to it. So it's not just between you and your manager of like, yeah, I'm going to get, some, we're going to get a verbal by this date, agree on pricing by that date. We're going to run through legal procurement by this date. You know, you, you want to do that. You want to do that in reverse, but you want to do that with the, your buyer. So it's okay. Go live date, signature date, procurement date, right. Uh, you know, pricing date. And to kind of just walk through all of that, have that out, document it right in an email to both parties. So you and your, your, you know, champion, all the decision makers are agreeing to that buying process. And then just, and then you just run the play. Right. And, um, and when days slip, which they inevitably will, now you're running against this and saying, Hey, you know, we said you're going to get this back from legal. That was three days ago. This whole project is, is, is going to be pushed unless we accelerate other days, we have to make up time. And so you have really have to find that compelling reason because there's so many, there's so many ease out there, especially now between the end of the year and they're forecasting these deals and they're just like, yeah, yeah, it's going to close by December 15th. And it's like, you know, what, what I always ask them is, you know, what, what are the repercussions on their business if they don't sign our paperwork by December 31st? And if you can't answer mm -hmm. that question, you have a problem, right? And maybe they'll sign it because they just like you and they feel good about it. But if there's no repercussions for their business, then signing January 1st versus December 31st, then, you know, then why are you so confident in your forecast, right? So I, I think that's mm -hmm. one thing is just like getting that close, right? We work so hard on creating these opportunities, going through the buying cycle, trying to get a verbal yes. But as you know, because you're in it, like there's a lot of there's a lot of things that can go wrong between a verbal yes and a signature. And so I think that's a that's an area for improvement for AEs out there. Yeah. And when do you it's interesting you bring that up. You know, I call that like a I don't know, a mutual action plan or an evaluation plan or whatever yep. you would call it. Um, you know, I actually lost a deal this morning via email, unfortunately. And we're, I was kind of doing a breakdown, a recap with, with my director. And we thought that we maybe brought that up too early. Like it was assumptively close, like unintentionally assumptive closing them Yeah, that this is going to be the plan. And this is how we're going to go through it. Do you, do you think that's a, a common issue? Like people you're building out that plan, but they haven't even said that you're their, their selected vendor yet. Like they, you know, they're still evaluating that you don't know, maybe it, Maybe we didn't ask enough about the competition or, you know, some of those conversations. Yeah. So obviously in a perfect world, you get that verbal and then you come up with the plan. But if you're creating the plan in, in parallel, then you have to be careful because yeah, you're, you're, you know, you're assuming all those, 
all those, you know, you're assuming you won the deal and then you're, you're kind of, you know, backing into that, that can definitely be a, that can definitely be a challenge. But I think, I think what you want is, you know, you want to make sure that ideally you're selected and then it's not you coming up with the plan and assuming they're going to buy into it. It's working on that plan with them even, right. Get your, you know, get your champion, your coach on the phone and say, here's what we put together. What do you think? What, what should, you know, what should take longer? What should be shorter and kind of let it be equally their plan as it is your plan. And then, you know, I, you always tell people, obviously, like you want to be on the same team as your buyer and then they have to go run it internally and you have to go fight internally. Um, you know, you have to fight with your legal or pricing, but you know, you want to be working with your buyer that it's, it's, it's you and them against, you know, against everyone else. So um, that often works yeah. well. Yeah. Okay. That's helpful. We'll bring it back to the, to the James story, but hey, <laughs> you know, you got to take your shot here. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, so let's go back. Uh, you're, you're, you know, you're running a worldwide sales organization, all revenue, even I think with customer success. Um, and that was what you were doing before you launched Vendition, which was about five years ago. So could you walk me through the founding story? Because I think it was, it was something that you were doing on the side, something that you were interested in. And then it kind of like got enough momentum that you decided to take it full time. So can you walk me through like what that whole process was like? Yeah. I mean, you know, we, in the sales world, we talk a lot about in the engineering world, talk about product market fit. There's also founder market fit. Right. So, I mean, I've personally experienced both sides of the problem that we solve. So on the candidate side, when I was transitioning from, you know, engineering sales, engineering into sales, I found it very frustrating that there was no sales master's programs or business schools or boot camps. It's just like, how do you learn this profession? Mm -hmm. Right. And the best advice I got was go buy a sales book. And as you know, you don't learn this craft from reading a book. Um, yeah. So I think even back then it probably planted something in the back of my mind. And then, yeah, fast forward through my career. It was interesting when I was a VP of sales, I found that the SDR role was the hardest one to hire for, right? If I needed a senior field rep down in LA selling to major media companies, you know, I would send my internal external recruiter after them, right? I knew how to define what I wanted. I knew how to assess them. I knew how to interview them and I knew how to train them. And yet for the SDR role, right? It's like, what do you, like, what do you want? Like recent college grad, career switcher, yeah. competitive, athletic, musician. Like I couldn't even define what I wanted. How do you interview someone for a skill set they don't have, right? I mean, you're right. It's mm. always, you know, one of the things I always find funny is that when for SDR roles, people ask them to, do like an exercise, right? Either like a, a mock call or a cold email. And it's like, you're asking someone who's never been an SDR to write a cold email. Like, what do you think it's going to look like? It's probably not going to be that great. Right. So, and yeah. they, weed, they weed out a lot of great candidates because they just haven't been taught yet, which is a big problem. But um, so yeah. So how do you assess them? And then training was just very time consuming, right? I was always, you know, I love training uh, more than pretty much anyone else out there. But it's still, it was a huge, it was a huge burden every time we brought in a new cohort, right? Because it just it basically shot the next month of my life um, as far as getting them all kind of trained and ramped. So, mm -hmm. you know, I finally decided, I realized that other VPs of sales, my peers had the same problem as me and no one could find SDRs. They didn't know how to get them ramped up. You know, churn was high. And so I finally realized instead of complaining about the problem, I would solve it. So I set out on a mission to create the world's first sales school and um, kind of we quickly iterated on this apprenticeship model that we have and uh you know haven't had to pivot since so it's been good it's been real good so were you you had um like customers like while you were still at your your full-time vp of sales job like were you were you making money or did you take a leap before you had any revenue 
Yeah, so we were, uh, when I was at Ustream, we were in the process of selling it to IBM. Uh, it took a lot longer than planned, but we were kind of wrapping things up. And my plan was to start, you know, Vendition, this kind of bootcamp apprenticeship business after Ustream. And then uh, a friend of mine who was actually the founder and CEO of a previous company I had worked at started a new business. And he asked me, he said, why don't you come in, you know, build out my original team, build out my process, basically be my VP of sales until we can, you know, and do and do your do this boot camp, this school on the side, and um, and so I agreed to do that. So I was kind of had two jobs, but I realized, you know, this is I'm going to go all in on Vendition. I want to I want to give that my all. So I was only there for a year and a half, and I helped recruit and hire uh, my replacement, got that all ramped up. But yeah, I was working on on Vendition for you know a good year and a half before it actually launched. Well, you hit a real pain point for me because, um, you know, with, with no, uh, it just isn't something that's taught in school, you know, sales, like everyone I talk to, I always am curious how they get into sales. And, um, you know, a lot of times it's just a job that they randomly chose, or maybe a parent did it, or, uh, they didn't know what else to do. You know, for me, I stumbled into Cutco sales in college. Uh, I got, you know, I got shoulder surgery, so I couldn't do my normal tennis camp that I would do, you know, and so I did that and I loved it. And I, you know, made some good money for a summer and I was like, oh, I, this is, this is a job. Like I didn't know going to a liberal arts college in Southeast Massachusetts that you could get into software sales and, you know, make good money and have a fulfilling career and have all these interesting conversations like that, that just wasn't talked about. So um, I love just the mission that you're on and, and trying to solve that problem because there's a huge, there's just such a huge market of great, you know, college graduates, potential salespeople that either don't know about the job or could use a little help kind of pushing themselves in there, as well as people that, um, you know, are later in their life or later in their career that want to make a transition in. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's not just the students that are in college who are looking for sales education, which we can provide, but it's also, like you said, a lot of people don't even think about sales when they're in school. And so it doesn't, it's not really on their radar because there aren't majors or minors in it. And they, you know, they don't know much about the profession. Um, and then there's also individuals who are career switchers, right? And whether you're five years into your career or 20 years in your career, you're, you're, you're not happy. You're thinking about making a change, but tech sales is, is not something you're considering because you just assume, well, I don't, I don't have an engineering degree. I'm not, I wasn't a STEM major. I'm, I'm not i I'm not a physics person. So I, you know, I would never be able to sell technology. And, you know, once you're on the inside, you realize that you don't, you know, you can definitely be a liberal arts major and be in tech sales, but unfortunately uh, people aren't aware of that. So that's a big, it's kind of marketing 101 is awareness, right? So that's a big focus for us is just educating people on what sales is overall as a profession and also what tech sales is. And so there's just, you know, it's a big, there's a big opportunity for us to just educate the market, which, uh, which is going to take some time to do. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like, you know, there's, there's so much, you know, great training out there for if you're interested in sales and you want to get better, like if I'm an SDR and I want to up level, um, there's no shortage of content out there for them to get in. So what I'm curious about is like, how are you influencing, you know, the 21 year olds, the 22 year olds, that this could be a good opportunity for them when, you know, maybe they're going to go be an accountant because one of their parents was one or because they think they can make more money their first year out of school that way or go to be a consultant at, you know, PwC or something like that. Like, is there any, how do you, how do you like kind of educate this huge market? 
Yeah, no, I mean, you know, people ask who our competition is. It's like, that's our competition. You nailed it. PwC, right? Law schools yeah, are yeah. like law schools yeah. are com- as our biggest competitor right now. Right. People are like, Oh, I don't know what I want to do. I guess I'll just go be a lawyer. And, uh, and that's, that's fine if that's for you, but you know, a lot of individuals are just not quite sure what they want to do. So I think that's a big part of it is just, you know, educating people on what sales is and the fact that it's a great profession. You can make a big impact on your business. You can learn a lot. You can make a lot of money, which is kind of a nice bonus. And so, um, you know, it's a, it's a lot of college students don't know much about it or they think it's just it's just cold calling. Right. Like you're making 100 dials a day, you know, for the next 40 years. And, you know, that might not be the most fun thing to do. And obviously you have to do some cold calling as an SDR. But you know, once you move into an eight year old, hopefully someone's going to cold call you, cold call for you for the next 30 years. So I think um, just educating them on what they're, you know, what sales is all about and, and how, how much fun the profession is. Right. I mean, I, you know, again, kind of back to my Qualcomm days, it's you're identifying business problems and solving them with technology. I, you know, I find that fun, honorable, uh, very enjoyable. And I think, uh, you know, we have to somehow let people know that that's an option because right now they don't. And so are you folks like funded, venture backed, or are you bootstrapped? Yeah, we raised a seed round years ago, um, but yeah. we quickly were, you know, we burned through most of that in the first kind of year, year and a half, but we quickly became profitable and cash flow positive. So um, definitely entertain the idea of, you know, do we hit the accelerator? What does that look like? But, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's quite different from my background working in the, in from VC back companies is, yeah. you know, none of them made money, right? Until the day we sold, even the most successful ones, none of them made any money. I can't remember, yeah. you know, it was a Salesforce, I don't know, 15 years or 17 years. I can't remember what the numbers were, but, uh, but yeah, so it's, you know, it's, it's quite fun to just kind of reinvest in growth and, um, and uh, we've been able to be quite successful at that kind of being, you know, being small and independent, but, you know, we have ambitious plans just like everyone else. So. <laughs> totally. And the, the reason I was kind of bringing that up is um, you mentioned that one of the things that you love doing is training uh, salespeople, and you'd love doing that as a VP of sales. Did you ever consider just being a sales trainer? Like you go and you go to, you know, Salesforce and go train them up versus what you're doing here is like, you know, it's a high growth company that you're, you're trying to maybe have a wider impact on people. And it's a different, it's a, it's similar, but it's a different kind of strategy. But I was just curious, is that something that you thought about doing? No, I think this is, this is what I want to do. I want to get, you know, I want to get people, you know, kind of, I looked at those, the, that large gap is, you know, you're looking for your first ever SDR job. You've never done sales. You never sent a cold email kind of that, you know, how do we get you ramped and, and, and trained, right? So how do we get you from a white belt to a brown belt, right? There's a lot of mm-hmm. great sales trainers out there that can take you from, from brown belt to black belt. And, um, and that's fine. And I'll let them all kind of fight over that industry. But yeah, we, we like these, these entry level, getting sales curriculum onto college campuses, helping put these boot camps together and just providing free content out there for people that want to learn and helping them find their, get started, get their first job. You know, I think if we were to go, if we were to go to, you know, product number two, I'll give you a little tease for rendition, but if anything, if anything, it would be, uh, (laughs) it'd be moving from SDR to AE, right? So that, you know, it's kind of like, you know, step one is no experience to getting, becoming an SDR. Step two is how do you be, go from SDR to AE? And I know a lot of great companies out there have training programs in place, but a lot of them don't. So it'd be great to kind of formalize and structure what does that promotion plan look like? And also, I mean, I know no one's doing outside sales right now, but you know, inside sales to outside sales, or how do you go from an AE to a manager, right? There's no man- sales manager you know, apprenticeships mm-hmm. out there, at least to my knowledge. So I think there's, there's definitely opportunity for us to kind of um, you know, grow within our space, but you know, there's a big, there's a big global market out there for entry level sales training. So we're pretty happy with where we are today. 
Yeah. So yeah. And don't even get me started on getting into sales management and being no training. I, you know, I yeah. got just wiped up in my first management job when I first started <laughs> it uh, two years ago. Um, but okay. So let's say I'm a college grad and, and I'm going through the program. I was, I, I had a little bit of a back and forth banter actually, coincidentally, a few days ago uh, on LinkedIn with a few people about training because in my mind, I'm thinking about my sales career and some of the tactics and gap selling and spin selling and challenger sale, they, they were great and they're helpful and I use them. But I don't think if you give me all those tactics and I don't have the right mindset and the right attitude and the right kind of the things in between my ears and you know inside to like kind of get me going, I don't think that I'm nearly as successful, you know? Right. So I, I made the argument that if I was training someone or coaching someone just starting, I would give them, you know, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill or Mindset by Carol Dweck or some like a book about someone like your mindset and, and growth mindset to get you going before touching the phones, before doing anything like that. I'm just curious what your take is on that and, and how you take people from like day one, uh, if they have promise and they're coming through your program, what that looks like. Yeah, for sure. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's all about, it's all about the attitude, right? You're looking for those, you're looking for those skills, you know, the grit, the work ethic, right? Uh, communication skills. Um, you're looking for coachability, right? Is this, can this person take constructive feedback and then implement it the next day? Self-awareness, right? You don't want someone coming in super arrogant. I think they know everything, like you know, understand your strengths and weaknesses. And when you have weaknesses, let's work on them and fix them. And so, yeah, we're definitely looking for those types of uh, kind of, you know, behaviors and personalities. And that's, those are the ones that are successful. Um, as far as all those methodologies and books, I read them all too. They're all great. Um, they all serve their purpose, but yeah, you can't just give someone spin selling and say, read this, and then you're going to be a good SDR because that's just not the case. Right. So um, yeah, there's some good frameworks in, in, in those books. Don't get me wrong. Um, I love them. I, I, I read them all and we implement you know, bits and pieces, but, uh, but yeah, it's about having the right mentality, growth mindset, self-improvement, right? You know, you're going to get up yeah. at four o'clock in the morning and run every day to make yourself a little bit faster. Or are you going to sleep in yeah. and snooze alarm eight times? I mean, it's your choice, right? But right. Um, are you going to listen to your podcast and try to, you know, just one time or you listen to it every week and kind of just continue to improve, soak in knowledge, right? Read more books. So those are the kinds yeah. of individuals that are successful. I think we can all agree everyone should listen to the podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, absolutely. So, you know, I was I was actually chatting with um with with someone that works for you. And, and one thing that you wanted me to bring up was that, you know, it sounds like you have a passion also for helping people, uh, you know, minorities, women in sales, um, people that are, you know, are not maybe you know, the most privileged or the most, you know, seen people in, in tech, you know, which would be probably white males, you know, yeah. so helping people that, um, you know, have a tougher time getting into the industry. So I'd love to hear you talk about, about that a little bit. Yeah. It's been a huge focus for us from day one. Uh, literally our first cohort was hundred percent women and people of color. Right. So we mm. you know, kind of made that decision from a very early day is we want to help individuals who, don't have those, you know, like you said uh, earlier, sales historically has been, you know, the golf club, right? It's kind of like a couple, you know, a couple, you know, generally white men playing golf saying, Hey, my son needs a job. Oh, why don't you hire him? And then it kind of just yeah. goes on and that happened, that happened for many decades, but there are a lot of individuals out there that just, you know, underrepresented, underprivileged backgrounds don't have those opportunities. So, and not even aware of them, right? We work with a number of HBCUs, right? Which are primarily in the South. And so it's just like, 
you know, how do you help all these young men and young women even be aware of tech sales, right? Not only opportunities in San Francisco and New York, which they're more than willing to move to after they graduate, but in region, right? Because there's a lot of tech companies with large sales hubs, you know, in the South, different parts of the country. And so we work very hard to help, you know, individuals from a lot of different backgrounds kind of, you know, just generate awareness of those opportunities and then walk them into our apprenticeship program at these great tech companies and really get their career started. So it's been, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's made a big impact, which we're very proud of. Yeah, that's amazing. What, what would you say to, you know, company that wanted to, you know, it's top of mind, it's been top of mind all year, right? Like since right. some of the things that have happened this year that, uh, you know, obviously specifically for a lot of people of color, but I think it even raises the point around, you know, women in sales. I know there's a lot of groups around that on LinkedIn. So like, what would you say if I'm a VP of sales and I'm looking around and I'm like, you know, ever, a lot of my sales team kind of looks like me and maybe they yeah. shouldn't like, what, how do I, how do I change that? Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things. Um, one it's, you know, having a good diverse sales team is one, it's just the right thing to do, but two, it makes your team better. I, I, I generally, mm. I, I genuinely believe that, um, you know, having diversity of thought within the workplace, right. In all aspects are, it's extremely important to having growing a large, successful organization. And so if you, you know, if everyone, if it's all, you know, white men from the same university or same fraternity, right. Like you don't have that diversity, like you have a weaker sales team because of that. Right. So Again, it's not just the right thing to do. It will make your team better. And then as far as how do you fix that, it starts with the top of the funnel, right? So it's just like, are you seeing a good diverse group of candidates uh, that you're interviewing for, let's say the SDR job? Because if you're not, you need to fix that, right? So, I mean, obviously you can come call us and we can fix that for you immediately. <laughs> but even if you do it on your own, right? It's just like, you have to make sure you're, you're seeing a good group of, of candidates. So if you're only looking, if you're asking, you know, employee referrals is a popular way to find employees. And so if you're only asking your current SDRs to refer their friends and all your, everyone, all of your SDRs are white men and most of their friends are white men, then guess what, guess who, what candidates they're going to refer to you. Right. So, um, so there's just a lot of work to be done from a top of funnel perspective. And I also, one of the things I'm really excited about with Vendition is that I feel like the SDR profession or sales is almost like the great, the great equalizer as far as opportunity goes, because if you're trying to diversify your, uh, your, you know, your software engineering team, right. Or, you know, it's like, okay, so where, who are the software engineers that are graduating from the universities that you're looking at or which universities and kind of like, you know, we talked about men versus women, right. So, you know, it's, it's, it's being fixed, but historically, the vast majority of computer science graduates at U S universities are men. And so you're going to see, you know, a disproportionate amount of men in computer and computer science uh, roles. And so you kind of need to fix that at the college level or even high school level. Right. So I have a young daughter, right. We're exposing her to, to, to engineering, software development, science. She wants to be a chemical engineer. Right. So she's getting exposed awesome. to this STEM at a very young age, right. She's seven years old. And so, you know, like if her and her peers are getting exposed to that at a young age, then that's fantastic, right? Because now you're going to hopefully someday we'll see computer science majors from Stanford and MIT be 50% men and 50% women, right? That's what, that's what we want. And so, um, but it has to start early. However, for sales development, right? There's, I mean, there, it's kind of, like I said, that kind of like the great equalizer, democratizing opportunity. There is no previous requirement uh, necessary, necessary. So, you should be able to, if you want to see 50% men and 50% women um, for applying for SDR roles, like you should be able to make that happen overnight, right? Because 
you're not, you're not looking at, you know, multiple years of training or going back to, you know, seven year olds to, to do that. So I think there's just a unique opportunity within sales to make an immediate impact on democratizing that opportunity and providing um, options for women, people of color, individuals that haven't necessarily always had those opportunities within tech sales or tech in general. Yep. And I, I got into a conversation earlier this year where, where people were, you know, educating me on, on some of this too, and, and how, you know, some of the verbiage and job descriptions can even kind of, you know, uh, subtly or not so subtly hint at what type of candidate, you know, they're looking for, whether it's a gender or a race or um, a certain, uh, you know, just a certain quality about someone. And so, Try making sure that that's something that you look at um, as part of the process too, so that you're not all kind of disqualifying people before they even apply to you. Yeah, that's exactly right. And um, and there's the, literally the way the job's written. Also, you you know a lot of companies put company pictures up there, but if everyone in the company yeah. picture looks the same, and then yeah. you have this diversity initiative, it's like people are going to look at that picture and say that doesn't. I don't think I fit in there, and then they're not going to apply, right? So. Yeah. Um, yeah, businesses really need to work on their career pages and the job descriptions to make sure that they are, um, you know, kind of uh, welcoming individuals from all different backgrounds to apply for the job. Because, again, then you're going to have the same problem, which is you're not getting the diverse group of applications. And then conscious or unconscious bias um, in the interview process is irrelevant because you're just not getting that top of the funnel um, diversity that you want. So uh, yeah. it's a problem for, for companies that they don't even realize. Yeah. Um, all right. So I want to ask you two more questions here before we wrap this up. So one yeah. is, um, so building culture, right? It seems like Vendition has a great culture and um, you seem like a high energy guy and someone that I would love to see in the office and give a fist bump to every day. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious, like how, how are you translating that to a Zoom world and a Slack world uh, to keep the culture I'm sure you want it to be high energy and collaborative. And, and so how are you going about that? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's not ideal. I'm definitely, I love being in the office. I love seeing the team every day, um, you know, giving everyone a fist pound when I come in, when I leave. Um, and so, uh, so that's kind of, you know, it's, I, I definitely miss that. Um, however, I, I think we do a pretty good job. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's not perfect, but um, there's a lot of collaboration happening within our business, obviously, because we have, you know, we have all these candidates who are looking for jobs. We have all these companies that are looking to hire. We have all this matchmaking process. We have our coaches. And so there's just a lot of collaboration that happens naturally. Everyone is very connected as far as Slack and text and phone calls and Zoom and Google Hangouts. And so, um, so there's, you know, there's lots of good conversations, lots of good energy. We have all these alerts built into our Slack, right? So we're giving everyone you know, virtual high fives constantly um, across all parts of the business. So I think we do, I think we do a pretty decent job. Um, you know, we did, uh, we did one like socially distant, you know, this is over the summer, but we did like one socially distance outside masks on uh, six feet apart, like happy hour um, for people that felt safe to, to kind of go do it, which was nice. Cause I hadn't seen, I hadn't seen people in like three or four months at the time. Um, yeah. And I, we haven't done one since because it's definitely not the smart move right now, but uh, yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's tough during those times. Um, we do happy hours every Friday afternoon. So every, you know, people can go grab a drink from their fridge or wherever and, you know, kind of uh, toast via Zoom. Um, we do yeah. Monday stand-ups as a whole company, just kind of update everyone, all the different departments. So, you know, we do our best, but uh, uh, obviously it doesn't, it, it's not as good as being in person. 
Yeah. No, it sounds like you're doing a great job though. Um, so last piece, uh, you mentioned, you know, you have a daughter, uh, we talked about the running, uh, you know, we've talked about the business. It's a lot to fit into that 24 hour window. Do you have a time management tip for us out here who are just, you know, we're like, we're hosting this, you know, the week before Thanksgiving. And I feel like I've got 10,000 things to get done before the weekend. Um, so I have maybe haven't been managing my time as well this week, but do you have any tips for me on that? Yeah, well, in addition to a seven-year-old daughter, I have a nine-year-old son. So, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, so okay. yeah, yeah, he's a handful too. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, time management. I mean, I think it's really about you know prioritization, right? And I think um, you know I'm a I'm a big fan of hard work pays off. I know everyone says like work hard, not smart. I would argue work hard and work smart. So you know, I, the, the people that I know that are the most successful with their life and career, they work very very hard. So. Um, but I think what's, what matters is that people need to really just take a step back and figure out what's important to them. And if, and if it's important to, you know, I mean, the good thing about tech sales is that it pays very well, right. It's based on national averages. And I know out in San Francisco, it it feels very expensive, but the reality is if you're an account executive at a tech company, you're probably doing fairly well for yourself. Um, and so I think just taking a step back and figuring out, you know, if you want to go out you know, this is pre COVID, but if you want to go out three or four days a week, that's fine to just be aware that you're, you know, don't be upset if someone leapfrogs you that started six months after you and gets that promotion, right? There's nothing wrong with that. It's just like, what's the priority, right? Um, mm-hmm. Same thing with, you know, do you want to party or do you want to sleep? Do you want to party? Do you want to exercise? Do you, you know, it's like, do you want to go build prospecting lists on Sunday or close the laptop and just watch nine hours of football, right? And so there's nothing wrong with watching nine hours of football. Just be aware that you're making those decisions. And so I think, I think people just need to figure out what's most important with them. If the only thing that's important to you is career success, then just, you know, be aware that you're not going to have a very fun social life and that's totally fine. Um, yeah. But just kind of make those decisions and then, and then work on that balance. So think about, think about where you want to be 20 years from now, 10 years from now, five years from now, and then adjust your time, right? Are you looking to get into a relationship and make the time to do that? Right. Um, yeah. And so it's just kind of, I think it is, it is balanced, but you know, I think, uh, I think a lot of people are looking for this utopia where they're just careers are taking off and they have all this free time and all these new hobbies. <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's easier said than done. And I hate to be the burden <laughs> of bad news, but it's like, you know, hard work pays off. And so I think it's, it is about balance, but you just have to figure out what that looks like. Right. And so, um, so yeah, it's just kind of, you know, people need to make those decisions. And, uh, you know, I, I'm very focused on my career and family and, you know, it'd be great to go out there and play 18 holes of golf, but it's probably not going to happen for the next 12 months. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. It's a decision I made. Right. So yeah, gotta figure it out for yourself. I love it. I love it. James Nielsen, where is the best place to, to find more about you and find more about Vendition and give us kind of a, where, where, where's the best place to find all that? Yeah. So uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I, I'm, <laughs> I try to be pretty responsive for those emails, uh, reach out, connect with me, always trying to help. Um, we do these SDR to AE workshops every once in a while. If people want to learn how to be an, uh, an AE, both internally or looking for a new job, uh, putting, putting free content out there. And then obviously vendition.com. So our focus is on helping people find their first job as an SDR. I'm sure most of your listeners are already in sales, but yeah, if you've got a, uh, a younger sibling or uh, someone from your university that's looking for a job, definitely send them our way and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll help them out. That's what we do. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. This is a great episode. Everyone that is, yeah, if you're not in sales yet, or you have a sibling or a friend, check them out. If not, uh, you know, check out some of their content. It's free and and up-level yourself.
There we go. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks, Tom. Thank you so much for checking out that podcast. I hope you saw value, uh, whether you're, you know, working out right now or doing the dishes or, um, you know, laying around the couch, whatever you're doing right now while you're listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found some value. If you did, the only thing that you can do to really help me out is to share this podcast with a friend, share it on social media, and please subscribe wherever you're listening, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever it is, and leave a review on Apple if that's where you're listening. That, that's what helps us to spread reach, helps us to get better guests uh, like the one that you heard just now, um, and to give you as much value as possible. So connect with me, uh, LinkedIn, Kamalemo, uh, yeah, Instagram, Twitter, Tommy Tahoe, and subscribe, leave a review, and make it a great day. Peace. Thank you so much.